This is the Sideline Distant Podcast, coming to you from iTunes and YouTube. Follow me on Twitter, as always, at the Brad Whitaker. I am the Brad Whitaker. Good one for you today. Going to talk a little bit of college hoops, as always. Nobody is paying attention to college basketball a week out from the tournament, and I'm going to explain why. It's getting worse every year. It's getting worse every year. But uh, first, talk about uh, something that I've stressed over and over and over again on this podcast, but uh, today I have a lot more statistics to back up what I've been saying uh, about Russell Westbrook and how he is clearly the most overrated player in the NBA, at least given the hype that the media gives him on a daily basis, especially over this triple-double nonsense, uh, and I'll explain why that is a little bit ridiculous. Um, again, media is lashing out now, and they're they're lashing out at Mavericks owner Mark Cuban because he refuses to fawn over Russell Westbrook. Now, of course, last night Westbrook was held at 29.6 rebounds and 5 assists in Oklahoma City's loss to a 15-point loss to Mark Cuban's team, uh, the Dallas Mavericks, last night. In fact, Westbrook didn't even score in the second and fourth quarter. You know, uh, say what you want about Cuban, but he is the most analytically driven organization in the NBA, and uh, he steps up against players like Westbrook. He knows how to stop them, and I'm not giving Cuban credit. you got to give Carlisle credit and the upper management for, for stepping up against players like that. But look, Wes is still averaging a triple-double. He has well, over 30 points per game, over... Uh, Ten and a half rebounds, and and I think he's at ten ten point zero assists per game right now. So he's still averaging a triple double even after yesterday's performance. And and it's not like Mark Cuban didn't say anything, nothing but mean shit about Russell Westbrook. He he said he's an amazing athlete and he's even the most explosive player in the NBA, which I agree with. But he also said the MVP race is between James Harden, LeBron James. And Kawhi Leonard. And I think he's right. And and look, Russell Westbrook is probably going to win the MVP this year. Especially if he ends the season with a triple-double. But let me tell you why his triple-double numbers are not as significant as everyone in the media is making it out to be. Uh, if you haven't had the chance, go to wa- go to the Washington Post website. Uh, Neil Greenberg uh, published a great article today uh, that showed just how overrated Westbrook is, and and it mentioned uh, Dean Oliver, who's a um, analytics pioneer. I'm actually taking a class with Dean Oliver right now, uh, and this is what this is what Greenberg mentioned. All right, here's a statistic that will blow your mind. There is there is a stat that few people ever talk about which they should because when when we talk about NBA superstars we often don't take into account how often they hold on to the basketball or how often they shoot or or end up throwing the ball late in the shot passing the ball late in the shot clock and there's a statistic called uh usage percentage and basically usage percentage uh calculates the number of possessions used up by one player and Russell Westbrook in the NBA, he has the highest usage usage percentage, I can't talk, uh, at 41.2%. That means 41.2% of the time, the Oklahoma City's Thunder, Oklahoma City's possessions are used up by Russell Westbrook. That's four points higher 
than the second player on that list. Now, I know four points doesn't sound like a lot, four percentage points, but it is, especially in this statistic. And number two on that list, by the way, is DeMarcus Cousins, who isn't exactly a winner either. I would say Russell Westbrook, you can win a lot more games with Russell Westbrook and Russell Westbrook only than DeMarcus Cousins, who if you listen to my podcast at all, you'll you'll know is a huge distraction, and that's why the Kings got rid of him. In fact, they probably should have gotten rid of him years ago, but they pulled the trigger on him at the NBA trade deadline because Cousins was a distraction, and, and they they got very little in return for a player of Cousins' caliber, but again... Cousins, second in the league in usage percentage. He's at uh, 37%. Russell Westbrook, 41%. And then I think next on the list is uh, Joel Embiid. And then DeMar DeRozan uh, and Isaiah Thomas are both around 34%. But that that's that's fine. That's a healthy percentage. A healthy percentage uh, usage percentage for a superstar is usually somewhere between 25 and 33%. But don't read too much into usage percentage. It's all about how efficient the player can be uh, when you take into account how often he has the basketball. You can have a high usage percentage, but usage percentage, but if you make a high percentage of your field goals, field goal attempts, then you're a good player. I mean, and, and especially in, if you get a lot of assists in ways that are more than just driving and dishing like Russell Westbrook does. Uh, so again, usage percentage can be high as long as your player is efficient, especially in the shooting department. And listen to this. Russell Westbrook's true shooting percentage, uh, which is a statistic that takes into account both two-point and three-point percent, uh, three-point field goals and free throws, so all the shots you take, whether they're close to the basket or far away from the basket, and th- they're weighted at certain amounts depending uh, on you know a three-pointer if you have a uh, if you're shooting above 36, 37%, that's a good three-point percentage, and that's going to help your true shooting percentage. Westbrook's is just 54.6%. Now, it, I know that doesn't mean anything to you if you've never heard of the statistic true shooting percentage, but out of the 271 players in the league that qualify for the scoring title based on the number of shots they take, Russell Westbrook, in terms of true shooting percentage, is 142nd of those 271 players, right in the middle. All right, the last league MVP under 55% in true shooting percentage was Kevin Garnett in 2004. And Kevin Garnett's game goes far beyond shooting. We know that. He's one of the greatest defensive players of all time, and he's always consistently productive on offense both ends. If you look at the analytics over the last 30 years, Kevin, Kevin Garnett's the greatest player we've ever seen. Even the, the only player even close to that kind of consistent offense and defense or production is LeBron James. And even Kevin Garnett beats him by a significant margin. So he can get away with shooting under 55% in terms of true shooting percentage, basically based on what he does on defense and what he can provide on offense as well. In fact, Russell Westbrook shoots low shooting percentages almost everywhere on the floor. Listen to these numbers. He shoots 57% below the basket. Those are easy layups. and Sometimes they're contested, sometimes they're not. But that's 57%, not a great number. 37% from mid-range. 35% from the top of the key. And 33% from above the arc. And, and 17% from the right corner three. In fact, the only good spot Russell Westbrook actually shoots above average on the floor 
is the left corner three. And that's actually pretty good. He shoots 50% from there. That being said, he's only taken 24 shots from the left corner three all season. So that's the only spot on the floor that Russell Westbrook shoots above average is the left corner three. Again, 57% below the basket, 37% in mid-range jumpers, 35% top of the key, 33% above the arc, and then 17% from the right corner. Only good spot is 50% from the left corner three. Now, what about rebounds, Brad? All right. Well, here's a statistic that blows my mind about these triple-double numbers more than anything else, more than Russell Westbrook scoring. All right, he had, what, four games over 40 points? That's impressive, whoever you are, okay? I, and I'm saying Westbrook probably should be in the MVP consideration. I just wouldn't put him ahead of Leonard, LeBron, or, or James Harden, uh, just as Mark Cuban said. But listen to the, this statistic on rebounding for Russell Westbrook. This will tell you everything about how ridiculous his triple number stats actually are. Westbrook leads the league in uncontested defensive rebounds at 7.8 per game. 7.8 uncontested rebounds per game. He's he's 78% of the way there to double digits on uncontested rebounds alone. And then in addition to that, he gets 1.1 uncontested rebounds off missed free throws. So he's 90% of the way there on uncontested rebounds from the free throw line and, and from defensive uncontested rebounds. So basically, the way what Russell Westbrook grabs rebounds, he only has to fight for one rebound a game to get in double digits in the rebounding total. Think about that. He gets 7.8 uncontested defensive rebounds. Nobody around him per game. And an additional 1.1 uncontested rebounds off missed free throws. And you know why that happens is because Oklahoma City Thunder are a transition team. So the defense likes to go back. They don't fight for it. So they just have Russell Westbrook go up and grab the rebound off of free throws so he can start the fast break. He's averaging 10.6 rebounds per game. And nine of those rebounds come uncontested. So this rebounding stat from Russell Westbrook, oh, he's a point guard who can rebound the basketball. That's so valuable. No, it's not when there's nobody around you. Oklahoma City designs its offense so Russell Westbrook can get the rebound and start the fast break. And I'm not saying that's a terrible strategy. You know, you see the Wizards do it with John Wall, and it works pretty well. Both are great transition point guards. But let's not read too much into this rebounding statistic as if it's something meaningful. And then what about assists, Brad? Assists are a sign of a lack of selfishness, really. If you use up 41% of your team's possessions on yourself, then your assist total doesn't matter. And again, Russell Westbrook gets most of his assists because they run iso plays at the top of the key to him, and he drives and kicks. He drives to the basket penetrates, lets the defense collapse, and then he kicks it back out. That's all he does. He's not getting assists in the same way that Steve Nash did or Rajon Rondo. No, he's driving and kicking. Even James Harden, who who runs a similar offense in Houston, he 
still kind of creates plays for other players. And his usage percentage is like seventh. It's lower than Isaiah Thomas and DeMar DeRozan. So there's just these triple, this triple-double obsession for Russell Westbrook, it doesn't matter because the team doesn't win or they don't beat good teams. And as we saw, a team that doesn't have the, the deepest roster in terms of talent, although they, they look pretty good now that they brought in Nerlens Noel, uh, Dallas just simply exposed Russell Westbrook, just as other teams have exposed Russell Westbrook. In, and, and listen to this. In wins per share, if you want to go on other statistics, Westbrook is behind Kawhi Leonard, James Harden, Isaiah Thomas, LeBron James, and Stephen Curry. In real plus minus, he's behind Chris Paul, LeBron, and Jimmy Butler. So yes, Mark Cuban is right when he says Russell Westbrook shouldn't be considered for MVP because he, 41% of his team's possessions are used up on him. 90, almost 90% of his rebounds are uncontested, and all of his assists come from driving and kicking. Alright? This is a different, this isn't LeBron James, this isn't Kawhi Leonard, who also makes up for things on the defensive end. As I've said, LeBron James should have won MVP his second or third year in the league and won it every year since. And if there's anyone that could battle him for it, it's Kawhi Leonard because of what he does on the defensive end. Now, you could argue about James Harden, and he's become a significantly better passer this year. He definitely belongs in that conversation. But then I put Russell Westbrook below those guys, just as Mark Cuban did. And, you know, again, if almost 90% of your rebounds are uncontested, then that statistic doesn't matter. That's written into the offense. They're trying to create transition baskets by having Russell Westbrook rebound the ball it's a meaningless statistic let's stop now obsessing over the triple double So as I mentioned uh, at the top of the podcast, we are uh, just under a week away from the uh, selection show for March Madness, which means it'll be, it'll be time to start whipping out our tournament brackets, making predictions, and pretending like we all paid attention to college basketball all season. We know that's not true. And, you know, I'm not going to pretend to make any bold predictions other than uh, I expect a lot of mid-major teams to keep pulling off a disproportionate amount of upsets. And and that all has to do with the one and done in college basketball. The one and done is killing college basketball. Now, it's good for mid-majors. A lot of these lower-level D1 schools, they have lots of juniors and seniors that have developed chemistry together over multiple years. And you just don't have that at powerhouse schools that have one or two starters that want to go to the NBA, or five or six in Kentucky's case. And because of the one and done, it's completely destroyed the hype for the tournament, and nobody's paid attention to college basketball all season. You know, college basketball just spends the whole year, you know, on ESPN, That I believe that's where they get most of their coverage, and occasionally on CBS, and, and, and then they go to Turner in the tournament. But, uh... 
they have to spend college basketball has to spend their entire season developing love for these stars that are just going to go to the NBA. You know, and and your average basketball fan cannot name five college players right now. Maybe they will be be able to at the end of the tournament, but everyone knows who Lonzo Ball is. They know who that Fultz kid is from Washington, and everyone knows who Grayson Allen is because he kicks, kicks players in the nuts. Uh, but that's it. Nobody can name any other players. It's very difficult. You know, and there are ways to fix this. Imagine if star players spent three to four years in school instead of just one. We could have seen Derrick Rose play against Blake Griffin and John Wall. Kyrie Irving could have had a chance to play against Anthony Davis multiple times. Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns could have played against each other. Think about this. LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, and Dwight Howard. They could have built hype for many seasons. And then we would actually be looking forward to the start of college basketball instead of being like, oh, the Maui Invitational's on. Well, I guess I'll have to wait two and a half months to watch a college game. And it's not like this whole one-and-done thing has been beneficial for the NBA. It's hurt the NBA, especially scouting. You know, the numbers show the earlier you draft a player, if you're drafting a freshman, a sophomore, or they used to draft players out of high school, LeBron uh, was the last year that happened, or, or I think Dwight Howard was the last season that happened. The numbers show the earlier you draft a player, the higher the likelihood of that player turning out to be a bust. You know, and and it's funny. For some reason, we hear NBA scouts are like, oh, well, we have a concern because this guy's only, this guy's a junior and he's 21 years old. That's just too old. His, he's going to hit his ceiling. Like, <laughs> and that, that, G, that scout's probably going to lose their job in a couple of years. Okay. You, you need, so much of scouting is about measuring consistency. Any talented player can have one great season. Imagine if we had multiple years to look at Greg Oden at Ohio State. I think it would have become obvious very quickly that he can't stay healthy. But because he had one dominant, somewhat healthy season at Ohio State, he went number one overall. And the Portland Trailblazers passed up on Kevin Durant because of it. Had they seen Durant and Oden play for two or three seasons in college, it would have been obvious. You pick Kevin Durant. That's who you want. And every successful professional sport is driven by stars. You can't have all the potential big names turn over to the NBA every year like in college basketball. And one season isn't even enough time to create stars. Yes, we're hyping up Lonzo Ball. We're hyping up Markel Fultz. And we've hyped up Grayson Allen because, again, he loves kicking players in the nuts. But... If we had a longer time to look at these guys, we would fall in love a lot e- a lot quicker. Ben Simmons. Imagine if Ben Simmons were still out there, assuming he didn't get hurt. And I think it's a simple fix. You just require players to be 21 years old at the start of their rookie season. You know, one, that way they can drink if they win anything. And, you know, the NFL is a similar rule. And because of it, scouting is way less hit or miss in the NFL than in the NBA. And it's still hit or miss, don't get me wrong. Even someone like Bill Belichick strikes out on like 50% of the players he drafts. It's very high hit or miss in the NFL, but it's significantly worse in the NBA. If you don't have a top five pick in the NBA draft, 
it's probably a wash, or you're going to have a role player at best. And that's a problem. We need time to develop these stars. Again, imagine if you could have seen Derrick Rose play against John Wall. That would have been huge. Kyrie Irving going up against those kind of players. LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony playing against each other in the tournament. Syracuse in Ohio State, assuming LeBron went to Ohio State. All right? And it's, again, and it's not helping the NBA in any way. The earlier you draft players, statistically, the, the higher the likelihood of that player turning out to be a bust. That's just the way it works. Okay, so that's it for today's podcast. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow. Uh, Hopefully talk a little bit of football very soon. And uh, I'll talk a little more about Jimmy Garoppolo at some point. Uh, he's, you know, I I think the Patriots should trade him. But, you know, I, I teams aren't don't seem to value him as high as they probably should. And, you know, the NFL learned a hard lesson last year when uh, uh, the Rams and the Eagles traded, like, their entire future away for Carson Wentz and Jared Goff. So I'll probably get to that either tomorrow or at some point later this week. Until then, I bid you adieu.